Thanks for checking out the Anchor Faith Message Podcast from St. Augustine, Florida. Now enjoy this message. Well, back in, uh, on the 6th of April, uh, I took Psalms 91, and um, we started to break it down. And then um, the following week, I got something by the Holy Ghost that I just ended up delivering a different message. And then my wife and I, we were out of town, so I couldn't do it. Uh, but it seemed right with me and the Holy Ghost that we should probably finish the rest of that chapter. <laughs> so we're going to do that tonight. So if you turn over to Psalms 91... I want to read the whole chapter uh, because, you know, a lot of us, uh, we take time to read it either daily or at least some points in your life because you uh, remind that you have a covenant. Amen? Again, uh, Joshua gave us a great teaching on this covenant we're in, and God will always fulfill his word. Amen? So, with that being said, um, these are covenant privileges. So Psalms 91, we'll start in verse 1. We'll read all the way to 16. It says, and I'm reading out of the New American Standard. It says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you, will, uh, you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, of the pestilence that stalk in darkness, or of the destruction that lay waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. You have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High your dwelling place. No evil will befall you nor will any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and cobra, the young lion and the serpent you will trample down because he has loved me. Therefore, I will deliver him. He will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with a long life. I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. Amen. So Psalms 91 is a conditional psalm. Because it starts out, says, he who dwells. So the condition for these things to be in play is that you must dwell. This word dwell means to sit, abide, or remain. Okay? You must remain. It also means a place of dwelling as the place returned to. Returning to one's place of residence where one sits. And I like that because we were destined in the beginning, in God's original creation, that we were to have dominion. We were to sit on the throne of dominion in the earth and operate in the earth as God operates in heaven. And so, we basically, when we've made Jesus Lord of our lives, we are to return to our seat in Christ. We're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And if we will stay on the seat, 
where we are to dwell, then the things listed in 91 are ours by covenant. By covenant. Now, as uh, Joshua has taught you, a covenant is when two people come together with an agreement. So one can maintain covenant and one could break covenant. So just because we've entered into covenant with God doesn't mean we couldn't break it. All right? And I'll go to that scripture here a little bit later. Well, maybe I'll just go to it now. Uh, look over in um, um, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Um, we'll start in verse 31, okay? It says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us, right? And then we read verse 35, and everybody will read verse 35, and then obviously the last one, 39, but we'll just stay at 35. It says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Like, nothing can separate us from God's love, because he's convinced at the end nothing can separate us. Well, nothing can separate you from God's love as long as you're dwelling. Now, God is love, so in essence, all creation, humanity for that matter, is going to experience God's love. But some are going to experience God's love of he does not rejoice in unrighteousness. And he'll give recompense to the wicked. Love will do that. Love will throw humanity that has rejected Jesus as Lord into the lake of fire. And it will be love, a love action doing it. We think rejection isn't love. Love will give them what they want, which is you didn't want me. You actually rejected me, so I have to reject you. And love does that. But we got a bad case of not understanding the love of God. Overall, it's a church, right? We're going to clean all that up. But here we see that when we talk about the love of Christ, the love of Christ can get in covenant with us and maintain every um, covenant condition, everything that he said he would do, he's not willing to break it. But we can break. God entered into covenant with Adam and says, Adam, have dominion over these things and eat of any fruit tree but because when you do you die you'll break covenant well who who ate the fruit was it God so love love didn't do that love didn't try to break that love stayed steadfast but Adam said I'm not going to dwell here I'm not going to dwell here so it would be um, it would be Mythical thinking for us to believe that we can live an existence in Christianity that is contrary to how God us, uh, us, um, describes or communicates one who loves him would do, how we abide in the vine. In John chapter 15, it says that we are to abide in the vine. Well, how do we abide? Abide means we are to stay there. We are to live there. How do you abide? You do his word. You not only hear it, but you are a doer of the word. He says, you love me, you keep my word. How do you keep something? 
you actually do the word that you're hearing. Keeping is not hearing it. Keeping is doing it. Many of us as parents have said to our children, take out the trash, uh, clean up your room, wash the car, whatever, and they heard it. Did you hear me? Yes. And then if they don't do it, well, mom, you know I love you. Well, if you love me, then take the trash out. Right? <laughs> okay. I mean, I could do a lesson. I could tell every husband to never do anything their wife says, but always tell them you love them and see how well that relationship runs. <laughs> or vice versa. Well, honey, you know I love you. Well, okay. Um, no way. I mean, love is always demonstrated in an action because the problem is love's not a feeling. See, the world's reduced it to a feeling and the church has reduced it to a feeling. And then where church has reduced it to acceptance. But God did not accept you. He accepted Jesus. Okay. The Father did not accept you. He accepted Jesus. And the only way you'll be accepted is that you need to found in, be found in Jesus. Because you can't come to the Father. You've got to die at the cross like Jesus. And then be raised up in Christ. Amen. Lord, he accepts me just like I am. No, he doesn't. No, he does not. He says, that's filthy rags. You're going to have to repent. That's going to have to get up out of you. That's why at the new birth, it's getting rid of the spirit of the man that's in rebellion to God. Now, he'll tolerate your rebellious mind because he's trying to get it renewed. But it will cause you not to dwell. Because he expects that if you are born of him, then you should aspire to live like him. You should hunger and thirst for his word. You should want to be around him. You should want to be around those who love him as well. You want to always be brought up. You do not want to live low-level, fleshly, carnal lifestyle. You, are, you do not like being carnal. Because even babes in Christ want to grow. And we've had some, you know, just in the last six months that have given their lives to the Lord. Um, and man, they're like eating up. They're like, they're going to our Anchor Faith Life classes. This is awesome. Why? They're hungry. But then somebody's been around for a while. Well, you know, I'm not going to go to the class. I mean, I'm not going to. I've already, I know about authority. Oh, do you? No, you need to be retaught. Keep learning. Keep growing. Amen. I mean, really, when we do the Anchor Faith Life class signups, uh, it should get to a point where it's full and you're like, man, I missed it. Okay. Hallelujah. Let me just move over because y'all are starting to get sad. <laughs> so we're going to move over to verse 9. Verse 9. All right. We did the first uh, eight verses the last time. We're going to jump over in verse 9. Verse 9 says, For... You have made the Lord my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place. I like this because basically verse 9 is copying verse 1. It's, he's once again being reminded where his dwelling place is. This is where I live. Now, when I say I live, this is where all the direction of my life starts. So at the end of the day, when I am when I'm personally navigating life or, you know, through my family or through 
uh, business, because by all right, church and some of the things that we have here at church, our business, I'm at with them all. I'm asking the question, okay, do we let them in or not? Because I'm dwelling with you. At the end of the day, it's really not my decision on whether they, we allow them to sign a lease. It's your decision. It's your decision. You let me know. Because if I can know, then I can put up with stuff. Even when they're acting kind of crazy. If they act crazy. Right? Because you know. Because here's the thing. Some people can sign a lease and the individual that's actually signing it, you know, is never going to give their lives to the Lord. Ever. And could try to actually be conflicting or cause problems. But they have employees that the Lord wants to get close to get born again. And you got to be able to discern these things. Why? Because when you dwell with him, when he's where you made your refuge in your dwelling place, then everything you're doing in life, you're consulting with the one who has all authority and insight. You're doing this. Now, I'm not asking the Lord what clothes to wear. I asked my wife. I think the Lord would dress me really well, you know, but I, at the end of the day, he's given me some creativity, you know, and that's not one of those things. Other than there are times that the Lord does let me know, in this case, that is not appropriate apparel. There are some situations that I just don't go in wearing anything I want. I sense this moment is a different dress, and I yield to it. I yield to it. You know, because a lot of times we'll take up ideas like, well, you know what? God don't care about it. I can do whatever I want to do. There's not anything in my life that God can't say to me and, and have me make an adjustment. There's not one thing. And at the end of the day, even if the action itself, and you've heard me say this, personal conviction has nothing to do with you. But I was, uh, had a Jeep, a different one than I have now, and I was, um, actually, I was right here at 312 by ha, um, Bell's Outlet at that little light. You can turn to go to Flagler Hospital, or you can turn in, you know, to go to the shopping center. And I had an IBC root beer, okay? And I was drinking my IBC root beer while I was waiting on the light. Probably would have been in this hand because I was changing gears. Nah, it probably was in this one. And I heard the Holy Ghost say, do not drink root beer in public again. Now, what in the world's wrong with root beer? Nothing. Right? It wasn't the root beer. It was the bottle. And right now, in our society, there are many that are in the church drinking all kinds of stuff and have no different lifestyle than the world other than I'm going to heaven. That's what they're saying. And the Lord wanted me separate from that. Because in the society we live in, I could be there drinking my IBC root beer and they take a snapshot of me and then post it all over and say, you know, you know, local pastor drinking alcohol while driving. During the day, right? It's 11 a.m. He's, who drinks at 11 a.m.? 
Let me just tell you right now, if, you're drink, if people are drinking at 9, 10, 11, 8, and they are, you are an alcoholic. You are not a social drinker. And a social drinker is just an easy way of trying to justify. Uh, no, it just progresses. <laughs> I mean, don't be deceived, man. At the end of the day, don't be deceived. There is nothing the world offers. You say, well, Pastor Earl, you know, you got a problem with alcohol. I don't have a problem with alcohol because I don't let it touch my lips. I just, I, I will safeguard my mind. I want my mind right. Period. And here's another thing, just while we're on the subject, the Bible itself, when it says wine, it does not differentiate every time between the fruit of the vine, which is before it's form fermented, and when it's fermented. So every time it says wine, it doesn't mean it's alcohol. It can be grape juice. Well, Jesus drank wine. He sure did. It was called grape juice. Now, at the end of the day, Paul told Timothy to drink a little while for his stomach. I understand there can be some properties in there, but he sure didn't tell him to get intoxicated with it. And social drinking is being able to, and really think about it, because I look cool. Everybody, I mean, what differentiates? And you don't safeguard your mind. I mean, anybody who ever drank alcohol, and I sure did, I can tell you that. The first one got me feeling something up here. Well, that's just open the door for the enemy, right? And so if well, I drink a six-pack and it don't bother me, that means you've conditioned your body to handle more alcohol. So let's just be honest. Just like we do with sin. When we are keeping ourselves away from sin, you know, then, you know, we see one thing, you're like, oh, my gosh. But then, you know, when you let your guard down, you're like, oh, it's really no big deal. It's no big deal? It is a big deal. You've just allowed your heart to get a little more seared, to let it be a little more commonplace, is what I'm saying. Because if we're going to dwell somewhere, then you got to dwell where holiness is. <laughs> Hallelujah. Y'all doing all right? I mean, this is Wednesday night. It's discipleship time. I mean, I sh shouldn't have to stay just surface level. We should be able to dig a little bit, right? Which I'm not even hardly digging, just to be honest with you. I mean, I got a rake out. I'm just raking across the top a little bit. Okay? So you have to make him your refuge. Now, these are your choices. For you have made the Lord my refuge. Right? Even the most high, your dwelling place. This is your responsibility, not God's. Not God's. In fact, I'm just going to say it one more time. If you're watching anything going on with some big churches today, if you're, not, if you're not noticing, there's a common factor of alcohol use and womanizing. I mean, seriously, why do, why do pastors want to be the one that I can drink it without failing? <laughs> I mean, why even do it? I mean, the Bible says flee. The appearance of evil. Just flee it. Right? So if I do want to get drunk, I do on the Holy Ghost. He said, get drunk in the Holy Ghost. And I'm going to tell you, I've gotten so full of the Holy Ghost, I have staggered. I could not stand up. I have been put down on the ground and left there for a little while. 
Because he says, don't get drunk, as in dispensation or dispensation, whatever that word is, right? Don't get drunk on wine, he said, but get filled with the Holy Ghost. And the context, and when the Holy Ghost fell the first time, they couldn't stand anyway. In fact, they said, these people are drunk. And he says, they are not drunk as you suppose. So again, alcohol is the devil's imitation. That's why they call it spirits anyway. Have you not gone to ABC Liquor recently? Hopefully you've not, but you've passed by every time you went to Chick-fil-A is what I mean. Because all of y'all are a bunch of Chick-fil-A junkies and you're passing by ABC Liquor all the time. And it says spirits. Well, the reason why they call that because when you let your mind go, then it gives great access for spirits. Okay. Hallelujah. I mean, somebody's got to preach it, <laughs> so might as well. I'll just, I'll be the guy. I'll be, I'm not the only guy. There's a lot of people preaching this. They're just not popular, you know, because alcohol's popular. <laughs> Hallelujah. Just tell people my pastor's not cool. Just go ahead and tell them. It's all right. It's fine. That's right. But I will be righteous and holy. All right, because I made him the Lord, as you have my refuge and my dwelling place. Look at verse 10. No evil. Doesn't say some evil. Says no evil will befall you, nor any plague come near your tent. Oh, my goodness. No evil. Do you know how much evil's in the world right now? Do you know how many sickness and diseases are out there right now? Yes. I mean, we've been pounded by one particular little virus for the last two years. Right? Now, I looked up this word tent, right? To come near your tent. It has to do with a light that's outside the tent because at night it gave you the light to come back to your tent where you dwelled. And I said, that's interesting. And it reminded me, the Lord said, remember Job? I said, I remember Job. Because most people interpret Job wrong. See, Job, the whole context, if you want to get Job right, you got to get dominion right. Because, you, again, you got to, this is why you need to read your whole Bible. Because if you actually get your Bible correctly interpreted, you'll understand Job. Let me give you Job. Genesis chapter 3, the devil said, <laughs> you know, you're not going to die. And Adam ate the fruit, and he sinned. And then we get over to Luke chapter 4 with the temptation of Christ, and he takes him to a high pinnacle and shows him all the domains or kingdoms. In a moment of time, it says, all this domain I'll give to you because it's been handed over to me. So Genesis chapter 3 connects to Luke chapter 4. Well, Job is the devil going up to heaven with dominion from Adam. And he doesn't know all the dominion that he has, or he does know, and that's why he's come. And so he comes up and in, the Lord says, have you considered my servant Job? He's a righteous man. He said, yeah, but you mess with his stuff. Now, what's his stuff? What was the, the, the dominion the first Adam had? Over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, over all the cattle come on are you hearing what i'm saying 
over all the cattle, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, over all the earth. So what does he say? You've considered my servant. He said, you touch his stuff. He's a wealthy guy. He, you, he's righteous and you blessed him so much. He's got so much that is a blessing from you. But you take away his material stuff, he'll curse you to your face. And what's the Lord say? If we read scripture, he says, it's in your power. It's in your power. Is what he told Satan. He didn't say it's my power. Oh, you know what? He said, it's in your power. So then Job's like, okay, so I can go kill his livestock. I can go kill his this. And I'm going to have right to his kids because they're in a skin suit, and they are. Why was Job doing the sacrifices? Just in case his kids done something wrong against God. So he's trying to stand in the gap for their salvation, and you can't stand in the gap for your, somebody else's salvation. You can pray. But you can't get the person saved. And this is before the law of Moses, before all that stuff. So the devil wipes it out. And what does Job do? He blesses the Lord. But you know what he says? He, in his ignorance, because he don't know who took his stuff, he believes, well, there's a God. He said, the Lord gives, the Lord, but the Lord didn't take it. The Lord didn't take it away. We blame the Lord for all kind of stuff he hasn't done. So just because it is the scripture, which means it's truth. What's truth is it's truth that Job said it, but it's not truth of how it went down. That was Job's perception of what took place, and that's truth. But it's not truly what took place because we have the backstory. Job didn't have the backstory. He wasn't up in heaven when Satan came and said, I'm after you, bro. I'm going to take you down. Now I'm going to talk to the Lord about it. You hear what he said? Oh, I can mess with this stuff. I'm coming after your junk. He didn't hear that conversation. But you know what happens? He goes back and goes, you still consider my servant Job? You said he cursed me. He didn't curse me. He said, skin for skin, bro. You touch his skin. Why can we touch his skin? Because man was made out of the dust of the? But here's what the Lord said. Get this now. The Lord says, you cannot put a sickness on him to death. Meaning, can't get near his tent. Oh, you don't want to hear that. There's a light inside him. And you can't touch that. You can't put it on that it takes him out of, because there's nothing in his life that has warranted him to die. And he touched his skin. And it was not, it was not great. Wasn't great. Now, you got to understand, this is Job's dispensation, though. That's Job's dispensation. We're in a different covenant, a new one. A new one where the blood of Jesus and the stripes laid on his back puts us in a place where we can stand even at another place. You're not even going to show up and touch my skin. Now, if it gets on your skin, that doesn't mean it's it. You can't get to my dwelling. You can't get to, you can't take me out. You can't kill me. People hear cancer, it kill you. Can't kill me. Only if I allow it to kill me. Well, you don't want to hear that. Because you're like, wait a minute, now people die of cancer and love Jesus. I'm telling you right now, if you don't mix purpose and faith together, you will allow cancer to take you out while you're praising God. 
But when you know I can't die, Paul said, I know him. He said, I'm betwixt between two places, whether to go on and be with the Lord, which is far better, or to remain here with you. How, why did he not die in that jail? And he could have died. The conditions were that bad it, uh, for his body that, it, that he could have died. Because we don't know, you don't know, because again, well, you know, but others don't know the conditions of the Philippian jail because they had him down where the sewer was. Chained to a wall. This ain't like air-conditioned jails where they get to watch cable TV and go exercise in the yard. No, they chained him up with you know iron and hung him on cold uh, rock walls where all of the feces and urine is coming down from the other jails into his cell, and he's in it. Paul, I mean, Rick Renner, Greek scholar, said most likely he was in waist deep of human sewage and that rats would run across the top of those things and would begin to gnaw on the sores of the prisoners that were chained up. Oh, hallelujah. So when you read Philippians, understand that's how he is when he gets a package from the church and say to him, Paul, we believe it in you. We want to see you again. We're here to provide finance that when you get out, come see us. And it quickened him to say, I got to stay. It was his, it was his first letter. If he had let it go, we never would have had another. None of his letters would have ever came. And if he would have quit, we never would have got uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All things through Christ who strengthens me. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So we are in a covenant where no, it doesn't mean when the Lord said trials and tribulations, you're going to have trials and tribulations. But there are some things in the world you can completely avoid. There are certain evils and plagues for sure that doesn't have to touch you. But conditionally, you got to dwell. You have to dwell. Now, let me, I'll just help you out. You cannot be actively smoking cigarettes or marijuana since it's so popular right now. Or a cigar. Or chewing tobacco or dipping it. And like, and have lung cancer and be saying, Lord, I'm, by his stripes I'm healed. By his stripes I'm healed. Now, the Lord can heal your lungs and then you, well, praise the Lord, he healed me. I just want to testify to, hold on. I just want to testify today that the Lord healed me of lung cancer. Well, do you think that it ain't coming back every time, every time you keep doing a drag, 10 packs later, 100,000 packs, you know, 15 years later, you're like, well, the, the Lord didn't heal me. I, you know, I had lung cancer, but he healed me. It's come back. Well, why do you think it came back? Because you're not doing an action conducive. Oh. So when I say dwelling, that's the same principle. If you come out from dwelling in the place of the most high, in essence, it's like smoking a cancerette and saying, I don't know why he didn't heal me. Are we getting it? 
I mean, dwelling is, what's your word say? I'm submitted to that. And the Lord said, well, you need to go ask them to forgive. You can't do it. That's cancer. You just brought some disease on. It's coming your way. Because you're not dwelling now. You're taking yourself out of the covering. And God's merciful. Don't get me wrong. But I, this psalm is for, this psalm is guaranteed covenant language for the dweller. Now, at the end of the day, you have to decide as a believer, do you want to be, how, you know, if this is the dwelling place, right? How far out? And, and I'm covered. Now, Lord, you know, Lord, you know, there, the evil's coming, Lord. I got my, I got my pinky toe in. <laughs> I mean, why do we live like that? Now, that's funny, but if you come to church, you know, once or twice every two months, that's about what you look like. In my opinion. I mean, because if there's no reason for you not to assemble, then you should be assembling. Part of covenant, that's dwelling. It all works together. It all works together, actually. You can't just, I mean, that's the problem with the denomination we have now. They, I like salvation, but we're not going to talk about the Holy Ghost like that, so we, you can't preach that here. Well, then you're not dwelling and having the provisions and blessings that are associated with God. Now, it's not my fault that you're not operating in the power that we operate in. And I'm not a better child, I'm just... A better child by obeying and allowing my yielding all that stuff in that context right because you could have it too you know so at the end of the day what I'm trying to do is you can have it too stay here stay underneath the whole thing get under the whole thing you know because I could give you that lifestyle yeah you know well it's rough out here guys aren't you glad God's got our back on the toe <laughs> you know he lo he loves you I know but we have a choice to dwell Let's just stay there. Okay, so no evil befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. Oh, my goodness. That's so good, isn't it? He goes on and then says this, for he will give his angels charge concerning you. This is one of the most um, unused um, commodities of the kingdom is angels. I'm not going to teach on angels today. But the problem is, is that you get too much teaching on angels and people go after angels and not God. Angels work for us. But the problem is people want to worship the ones that are supposed to be working for us. And all through the Bible, if an angel ever encountered a human and the human went to fall down to worship it, they were like, get up. So anyone's like, oh, I have these angels and all their, and they're like in awe or almost idolatrous about that conversation and how many they're seeing and how often they're seeing them and how, you know, they frequent them. You know, there's a problem. They don't understand the use of angels. What I would say then, the ones they're entertaining are in light, but they are demonic because the devil will mask himself as an angel of light and when he shows up he will require you to worship it right so if you never saw angel in your life great it doesn't stop you because all you need is the word the most powerful thing god did was send his word that's it that's all you got to have 
if you happen to see one, great. The Bible tells us that a lot of times we'll entertain angels unaware. It happens. Which means then you could have already encountered one and you are unaware of it. So everyone in this room, we may have frequented angels on more than one occasion and we're just unaware of it. But there are others who have seen. It's true. There have been testimonies. I know of a particular missionary. I've heard of one, but then I talked with a literal missionary that had a very similar testimony of being in a country where they got under attack by some gorillas within, and I'm not talking, you know, um, a, a monkey gorilla type, you know. I'm talking, you know, the human gorilla type. Y'all know what I'm saying? Yeah, gorilla warfare. Soldiers. Okay? And they come to attack their convoy, but when they got to the man of God, the missionary, they ran off. And he was saved. No harm befalled him. Only to find out later on, when he's still doing missions in, the, in that place, people came and had gave their life to the Lord and said, um, when we, we were one of the guys that came after, that came on your convoy that night, and there was these huge humans that were like 10 feet tall standing beside when we came to get you. And we ran. Angels can appear. We know that when Adam fell from dominion and, the, and love put him out of the garden, that he stationed an angel. We know that when um, Elisha, was it Elisha, that they came to get him and he said, there's more for us, right? When Elisha was down in the tent, he didn't even come out of the tent, but by a spirit he was aware that I have all these angels around me. And I'm not talking one, guys. I'm not talking your personal angel. I'm talking a whole army of angels. And the guy, his servant, looked out and saw the natural man's army and came in and said, what are we going to do? They are here. They come to take us. He said, man, there's more for us than there are with them. And he's looked out again. He goes, one, two. No, this is not good. <laughs> he said, Lord, open his eyes. See, he looked back out again. And he looked at the top of the hill because they were in a valley. And there were angels all around them. Now, all they needed was one of them boys to come down. You hear what I'm saying? All they needed was one because we know that the Lord sent one angel and he killed 185,000 Midianite men. One. We know one, not the anointed cherub, not the archangel Michael, but an angel will come down when the Lord returns after the tribulation period and will grab hold of the devil by himself, chain him, and toss him into the lake of fire. One angel's going to do that. And the scripture tells us here that he will give his angels charge concerning you. And what will they do? To guard you in what? All your ways. Now, when I get on a plane, I lay my hands on the plane, and I'm listening. Because the Lord says, don't get on the plane. Then I'm not on the plane. Lay my hands on the plane, I plead the blood over it. Then when I sit down in the seat, 
I say, I begin to pray. I say, now, Father, I take charge of this plane for the sake of the gospel of the kingdom. First and foremost, every system on this plane is going to function as it was designed to function. Secondly, Holy Spirit calls all the training of the pilots to come to their remembrance. Because if anything happens, I want them to know quickly how to fix that. Right? I want it to come quick. All right? Then I say, because myself or if whoever I'm traveling with, right, because we are on this plane, I pray hedge of protection right every other passenger. They will arrive at their destination alive, just like Paul arrived with his ship. When it was shipwrecked, all were alive when they came. They are going to live. All right? Because of that protection. Then I say, ministering spirits. Why do I say that? Look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. Ministering spirits, uh, that's angels, okay, in Hebrews chapter 1, because again, he gives charge of his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways, right? He says this, are not the, are not the angels all ministering spirit servants sent out in the service of God for the assistance of those who are to inherit salvation? And I have inherited salvation. So I'll say, Minister Sears, now go ahead of this plane and you prepare the way so there is not, a, there is not rough air. I'm just going to be honest with you. I mean, who wants to get on a turbulent plane? Bouncing and jumping and shaking and jiving. I mean, I want to talk to weather. I want to talk to wind. And I'll send angels out ahead of the game. Because I, if there's a demonic something because we're going to another country... You just go ahead and you move them out the way so we don't have a conflict. I don't have to see them. They don't have to talk to me. I'm aware they're there because of Scripture and Scripture alone. Faith allows me to know there is a created species of being that are to serve the cause that the Father has for me while I'm here in the earth. At, not only in the earth, but... At this point, there's no indication that it's not forever. Because will I still be an heir of salvation when I'm in the new heaven and new earth? And let me tell you something. Angels aren't like, don't tell me what to do. That's been done. That dispensation's over. There was a time that an anointed cherub said, we take the throne. We'll take the throne. I'm going to lift my hand. We're going to take the throne. You with me? We're going to take the throne. We're going we're gonna to get up there and we're going to take it all. We're going we're gonna to sit in that seat. I'm going to take it. And I'll make you even better than you are now. And that didn't work. So all that are with the Lord today saw that rebellion. And none of them are like, you know, I think maybe we could do this plan better next time. No, they love the Lord. They love God. They love the Son, the Holy Spirit. They worship Him. They love Him. They do their bidding. And when He says, listen, I want you to help my man that's been made in my image, they're like, I need Him to talk to me. Oh, my gosh. I wish. Oh, they're like honored. And waiting for you to say, would you just go? Would you do? They're honored. To move, navigate, and do our instruction. And this is part of a benefit of those who dwell. Sometimes people wringing their hands like, what are we going to do? Some of you just need to say something to your angel about it. When I leave my house, 
Now, Minister Spears, I need you to stay at my house. I want you on all four corners. You're like, well, wait a minute. How many you commanded? As many as necessary. He said he are not the angels. See, we have this thought that there's one angel only. There, there is a scripture that talks about their faces are before their angel. But that doesn't mean you're limited to an angel. Well, I got one angel, so I can only talk to my one angel. There's not one angel. The Bible says there is a myriad of angels. A myriad of angels. Okay? Now, I'm not asking them to do something for me rebelliously. Because they won't listen to you. An angel's not going to follow your voice if your voice is not the will of the Father. It's not going to happen. But they want to follow the heirs of salvation, the sons of God. They do. So if it need be, here at my house, station around each corner of my property, let no evil. I have a guy, a pastor, and um, um, a friend of mine in uh, Spokane, Washington. Now, this is a culmination of things, okay? It's not just one thing, okay? Because this is because he dwells. And in his dwelling, okay, there are promises that allow him to enact covenant things. One is giving. If you're a giver, then God will protect your stuff. Okay, that's, that is one. But then there's angels. Well, a fire broke out in the West, and, you know, that happens quite often, all right? So here it is, Spokane, and in his neighborhood, the fire is coming. So he's down at the base of his neighborhood and smokes everywhere. He cannot see his house, but not allowed up there. So he commanded his angels to protect his house. Then he reminded God that he was in covenant with him and that he's a giver and that he would protect his stuff. And I had little pictures. I could get them to you tomorrow if I wanted to. Okay. The fire came, burned his neighbor's house to the ground. Burned their car, melted to the ground. Then split, did a circle around his property, met on the other side, burned the next neighbor's house down. And he's got pictures to prove it and the burn mark. I mean, he's like, I mean, he's in his, in his yard taking pictures of his neighbor's car. And then green grass, Charred car. Nobody's up there spraying the lawn. The firemen can't even, they're not up there. He started enacting everything he knew that was made available to him. I just have, you know, it could be the angels there with their own flaming swords. Because you know how firefighters put out fires. They'll go run the little trench lines and they'll burn a fire to the fire and then there's nothing for it to consume and it dies. So, you know what? It's not hard for me to imagine that that angel, because we know they have flaming swords, that they could be taking that flaming sword and be drawing a line. Oh, y'all don't want to. Could have been drawing a line around that property and that line hit it and there's nothing else to consume, so it had to go around until it found the next thing to burn. Heck, it could have jumped it for all I know. We don't know because you can't. They, they could have, with wind, lifted it up, piled to the other side. Let's go on. Amen. 
I mean, it, it happens. And I mean, this is just one testimony, just one of many things that take place. But he said he'll give charge, concern. This is why the life of the believer who lives in the kingdom, because again, if you don't understand kingdom, then you don't understand your covenant right and your position in dominion to be able to speak to angels. Now, they're not bringing you coffee. Man, I've gotten so good with my angels. I wake up and they show, I don't, I mean, somebody shows up at the house. It has to be an angel every time. Right? <laughs> I mean, I bring my wife coffee. I'm an angel. <laughs> no, I don't want to be an angel because I'm of the nature of God. I'd rather stay a man. All right? Okay, verse, 11, uh, verse 12, then it says, They will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. Now, again, that scripture is what the devil spoke to Jesus in the temptation. Right? It's like, well, go ahead and get your angels. Come on. The Lord's like, nah. Not going not to test the Lord that way. I don't, I don't have to showcase my power and my ability to call him in. But you know who came to him after the temptation? Angels came and ministered to him. So he didn't need them before he needed them. But when he needed them, they were there. They were there. Verse 12, or verse 13. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra, and the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. These are the, the, the um, now this lion obviously is not, the Lion of Judah, this is like the devil. He goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Obviously, he's considered a snake, right? Uh, because, again, the serpent was in the garden, right? Uh, he's there to kill you. He's there to, you know, strike venom in you and, and cause you. But in these, you'll tread. That, and tread meaning they're under your feet. You'll be a, you'll you know, tread them down. They're under your dominion. They're under your power now. So again, at the end of the day, why are we being fearful? Why do we allow the things of the world to grip us in fear? Let me read verse 14 before I hit a couple other scriptures. He said, because he has loved me, and that's what, and, and not just I love you, Jesus. I love you, I love you, I love you. I mean, I keep your commandment. I dwell in the most high. I'm doing your bidding. I'm following your commandments. I'm not seeking my own will on this deal. I only want your will. I'm seeking your direction. How do you want me to handle these situations? What do you want me to do? I'm coming to you. And when you dwell in that place, an uh, enemy can come and they're going to go. Sickness can come, it's going to go. Evil try to show up, it's gone. It's going to leave, right? Angels are at your dispatch now. Then if Satan himself showed up, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You can tell him to shut up and leave. Bind him up and go. Okay? So he who's loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. In the society we live in today, why is this not more real to us as believers? 2 Timothy 1.7. I mean, when you read Psalms 91, 2 Timothy 1.7 should get you jacked because if all of the things that are happening in Psalms 91 are yours and you're dwelling there, then at the end of the day, Psalms, uh, 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, For God has not given us spirit of fear, but a power, love, and of sound mind. 
So why am I afraid of COVID? Why am I afraid of could I can't? Why am I afraid of the economy crashing? Why am I afraid of inflation? Why am I afraid of high gas prices? Why am I afraid of the war over with Ukraine and Russia? Why am I afraid of wars and rumors of war? Why am I afraid? Because God didn't give me a spirit of fear. I dwell with the most high. I dwell there. Now that doesn't mean evil's not in the world. That doesn't mean evil's not happening to people. But listen, if everyone would just, if every human on the planet would immediately repent and call on the name of Jesus, then all evil would immediately stop. In humans, that is. Through the human race. Evil would still be here because when Jesus comes back for the millennial reign, sin's going to be here even though the devil's been thrown down into the lake of fire. My point, though, and that's because man's not yielded to God. If all of us yielded to God, it'd be over right now. If everyone got in a dwelling place, then evil couldn't have any place. Sickness and disease couldn't have any place. So God didn't give me a spirit of fear. So I'm not going to watch news so much that it takes me out of my dwelling place. I'm not going to read Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and TikTok and, you know, doing all that. That takes me out of my dwelling place. Because God's not giving me a spirit of fear. Look at what it says in Psalms 56. Psalms 56, verse 9 and 11, it says this. Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. <laughs> yeah, they... Man, the devil's always trying to mount a war against you. But you have to remember, no weapon formed against the, not individual, but the church. So if you become an individual outside the church, now what do I mean by that? I love God, but I don't actually assemble. The church is only the collecting of ourselves together. It's not this building, I get it. But it is all of us right now coming together, doing our part. And if we did not come together, you are an isolated believer. Now, you can be God's child, but you're not getting church privileges. And when you're getting picked off and sick and now scared because you stay in your house and watch the news all day long. And there's a Bible on your coffee table. But we don't read it. And then some dweller of the most high walks into the house and says, man, it's all right. You'd be like, but brother, do you hear what's going on? Like, we've lost a touch of reality. The reality is you've lost a touch of reality. You are out of your dwelling place. And you're allowing spirits to show up. But my enemy, man, then my enemies will turn back in that day when I call. This I know because God is, what is he? Oh, man, he's for me. Is he for you? <laughs> well, we'll find out. <laughs> in God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise, in God I put my trust without, without what? I shall not be, ain't going to do it. What can do to me? 
Wow. Now that's confidence for a believer. To those who do not dwell, and that's lost, or born again but not dwellers of the Most High, they'll call you arrogant. And that you need to humble yourself. But I humbled myself so low that I actually believe him at his word. That's why I'm going to be fearless. Because he said this. He said, if I put in God, I have put my trust. How? Without fear. I shall. I mean, I'm going to get scared some because, you know, we all get scared. Now, I'm not saying you won't get scared. I'm just saying you resist scared. I'm not saying fear won't try to show up or the spirit of fear won't try to show up. I'm just saying you resist it. Pastor saying he never gets afraid. I resist fear. I resist it. And it has come knocking on more than one occasion. But I resist it. And I remind it. What can you do to me? I've heard from the Lord. I dwell with the secret place. I have his word on this matter. So it's going to be this way. I said it's going to be this way. Hallelujah. Are you hearing me? So let's go back over to Romans real quick again. So we can kind of, you know, we were there earlier. Romans 38. It said, what shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Do me a favor, guys, if you would, because it just came up in my spirit. Uh, jump up, I think it's verse 28 of Romans 8. Is it 28? Uh, jump up to 28. Let's see if it's 28. Um, yeah, it's 28. Put 28 up there. Because, you know, 31 against what? So we say all these things. If God is for us, who is against us, right? Well, let's find out God for you, Okay. Romans 8, 28. They're going to put that up there for you. You have your Bibles on your phones. You're already there. So I'll start reading. Because this is like one of the um, most uh, misquoted scriptures. It's like we only want to start the scripture and stop it. And we like put a period in it. And that's how we quote it. And we sing it all the time. And we know that all things work together for good. Right? Right? For good. God causes all things to work together. Why does it look like that twice? Why is it like got it twice, Rodney? Try it again. Because that's like weird. He's going to fix it. I mean, try it again. It's worth waiting on, guys. It's worth waiting on. Because this changed your life. And the sooner you get this, the quicker your life would be different. I'm not questioning that you want to love God. I'm not questioning that. I would never question someone's wanting to love God. But the Bible tells us what love is and how we actually love God. And if we're not doing love the way the Bible says we are to love him, then we're not loving God. Even though we, are, we would want to, but... There is a way that identifies that we are really loving him, okay? But there's a reason why he's going to cause all things to work for good. This is interesting. Is it just going slow? Oh, we got the spinning wheel. Ah, the spinning wheel of death. Yeah. Well, man, get an angel on that. Let's fix that. <laughs> okay, let me just read it. A new American standard. And, uh, you know, this is why you need to bring your Bibles. You know, I don't want to have to spoon feed you with a big screen. Okay. 
Um, it says this, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. And that's it. We stop there. Because there's a, there's a grammar, you know, a grammar mark after this. The problem is we see it as a period, but it's not a period. It's actually a comma. Right? Um, which means then, if God's causing all things to work together for good, you are to meet both conditions. And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good to who? To those who love God. To those, not to those who love God, but then you got this group that are called to his purpose. Now, the per people who are called to his purpose, they don't love God. They actually hate him, but they'll just do his purpose because they know they should. But then you got these people who love God. They don't really do anything that his purpose is. You know, they just tell him and sing songs to him all the time and say, I love you, I love you, I love you. Are these two different people? Obviously, it's not two different people. But we always quote this scripture, and we know that God causes all things to work. Because you, know, you know, brother, God calls all things to work together for the good. And sometimes we stop there. Well, then they ascribe that even to rebellious people. God's going to work it to the rebellious people's good. Well, no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't do that. It is a qualifier to those who love God and then it amplifies and says, now, they're not just people who love God. These people also are called according to his purpose. Now, according to whose purpose? So again, you don't qualify for God to work out things for your good if you love him, but you're doing your purpose. So the scripture does not say he works together for good to those who love God and to those who do their own purpose. Well, I'll go to church when I want to go to church. I'll forgive who I want to forgive. I'll give what I want to give. Okay. Because again, okay, Lord, I'll give you this part, but this right here is mine. I can tell you he has a purpose for your money. He'll have a purpose for your marriage. He'll have a purpose for your kids. He's going to have a purpose for your job. He has a purpose for your destiny. He has a purpose for everything in life that yeah, there's a purpose he has for you. And he'll cause all things to work together for the good if you love him and are called according to his purpose. Then we can jump down, down to verse 31 and say, what can we say to these things if God's for us who can be against us? So is God for you? Well, you'll know if you love him and you're called according to his purpose. Hallelujah. Thank you for that. Amen. Then it goes on verse 35. Verse 35 says, um, he says, who will separate us from the love of God? Will tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. Meaning, it doesn't matter what the world tries to throw at you. When you're in the dwelling place, is that going to be able to stop the love of God to protect you, to shield you, to be a, a safe haven, to be a refuge? Is that going to hinder him from being able to do what he said he would do for those who dwell in the secret place of the Most High? Nope, none of those things are going to be able to stop his provision his routing the enemy, his ability to keep sickness and disease from taking you out. He can do it. Period. Because we have a promise. 
And I don't recite 91 because, you know, I don't know what it means for me, but I also know what it means I have to do as a part of that. Now, it's not my work, meaning I'm making God do something. It is me yielding to God's way of doing things that then give me the right in his kingdom to have what he gives to those who do this way. Because, again, he rewards both the wicked and the righteous. But that word reward literally means he gives you what you are earning by your living. Now, you're not righteous if you're like, I'm going to live God like I want to, and I'm going to take his words on my merit. That's unrighteousness still. That's not righteousness. Because righteousness is, I do your will because you love me, and I love you, and your way is life. And you've empowered me now to do so. And I don't want to do things on my own. Then we get down to verse 37. What's it say about these? But in all these things, we are overwhelmingly conquerors through him who loved us. I mean, Psalms 91 is like, we win. We conquer. We see evil out there, can't come here. We see sickness and disease, can't come here. You see the enemy, yep, you're not going to take me out. Right? Because I'm protected. All right, let's go back over to Psalms 91. We'll finish it out. Verse 15 then, or 14. Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. Aren't you glad you know the name of Jesus, the name that's above every name? See, if you don't know the name and know the authority in the name. But you've got to know that you're in the name. Seven sons of Sceva try to cast out a devil, devil out of a man, right? Because it can be done. They've seen it but they weren't intimately acquainted with the name nor followers of the father and been given the right to use the name. So when the enemy, the, the evil spirit raised up out of the person he possessed, he said, Jesus, we know Paul, we've heard about, but who are you? And the evil spirit beat those seven boys up, beat them all up, stripped them naked. So saying Jesus ain't going to do something for you. <laughs> Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> Woo! No, you got to know him. All right, verse 15. So because he knows my name, he will call upon me, and what's going to happen? I'll answer. That's why we're not a church that prays. We're a church that has answered prayers. When we pray, we expect. We have an expectation because why? Because God said for me to have that. If you call upon me and you meet... The, you live and dwell here, I'm going to answer you. I've been praying the Lord ain't. The Lord will answer you. First of all, you need to make sure you're praying how he needs to hear. Because if you're praying outside of his will, he's not listening anyway. He said, I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. This is why the enemy went after Job, because Job was in a place of honor. Jeez. But you know what got him out from underneath dwelling in the most high? Job, you know what hindered him? Because when the first wave of attack came, he says it this way. He says, the thing that I have feared has come upon me. Well, who gives a spirit of fear? It's not God. For God has not given me a spirit of fear. And that opened the door for 
Satan to utilize the dominion he had over his stuff. That's why it's important for us to fear not. And how many times before the Lord sent us into battle? When I say us, I'm talking about his people. He looks at Joshua and says, be of great courage, have no fear. Don't be afraid. What did Caleb say the first time they go in? Don't be afraid of these people. God's with us. Right? Uh, uh, um, Gideon, don't be afraid. You're a mighty man of valor. David, don't be afraid. Have no fear. Don't be afraid. Always telling us, don't be afraid. So how can we be believers dwelling in the most high and be talking like we're scared? The minute you talk, you're scared. We know you're out from underneath the dwelling place. Now, that doesn't mean you don't know about the dwelling place. That don't mean you don't know what is a right to the, what's a, uh, what right you have as being in the dwelling place. But that just means you're not there. I mean, I could describe you my whole house right now. But I'm not there. So just because you can tell me what he would do for you if you're not dwelling there, it's not happening. Because if you're out here where fear's at, then you've opened the door for the enemy to start bringing dominion to your life. He goes on and says this, verse 16, with long life, I will satisfy him and let him see my, what? Salvation. Man, that's good. So let's finish this, and I'm going to read it one more time, but in the Passion. Okay, we're going to start in verse 1, because we read the first eight verses in the Passion last time. It just kind of breaks it down in a pretty easy way to explain, and we're going to do the whole 16 verses, okay? And we're going to close, all right? Okay. When you sit enthroned under the shadow of Shaddai, you are hidden in the strength of God Most High. He's the hope that holds me and the stronghold to shelter me, the only God for me and my great confidence. He will rescue you from every hidden trap of the enemy. He will protect you from false accusations and any deadly curse. His massive arms are wrapped around you, protecting you. You can run under his covering of majesty and hide. His arms are faithfulness. Uh, his arms of faithfulness are a shield keeping you from harm. You will never worry about an attack of demonic forces at night, <clears throat> nor have to, to fear a spirit of darkness coming against you. Don't fear a thing, whether by day or by night. Demonic danger will not trouble you, you uh, nor will the powers of evil launched against you. Even in a time of disaster, with thousands and thousands being killed, you will remain unscathed and unharmed. You will be a spectator as the wicked perish in judgment, for they will be paid back for what they have done. We, uh, when we live our lives within the shadow of God Most High, our secret hiding place, we will always be shielded from harm. How then could evil prevail against us or disease infect us? God sends angels with special orders to protect you wherever you go, defending you from all harm. Man, I could just stop right there because I just, the Holy Ghost, and many of you probably just saw the image of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego going into a fiery furnace. They went in the doggone furnace, but they, they just had the things that they bound in them to burn them up. They burned off and put them back in their regular clothes while an angel was in the furnace. And it didn't harm them, and they came out not even smelling like smoke. 
Wow. Okay. Verse 12. If you walk into a trap, they'll, they'll be there for you and keep you from stumbling. They'll even walk, uh, you'll even walk unharmed among the fiercest powers of darkness, trampling every one of them beneath your feet. For here is what the Lord has spoken to me, because you have delighted in me as, your, as my great lover. I will greatly protect you. I will set you in a high place, safe and secure from my, uh, before my face. I will answer your cry for help every time you pray, and you will find and feel my presence even in your time of pressure and trouble. I will be your glorious hero and give you a feast. You will, be a sat you will be satisfied with a full life and with all that I do for you, for you will enjoy the fullness of my salvation. I want to enjoy the fullness of God's salvation now. I know it's just going to get better when I leave my body and go to heaven to be present with the Lord, whether that's before his coming or at his coming in the trumpet sounds. I'll be called up together with him. I'll be there. I'll strip off this mortal suit and put on immortality. I'll be in a glorified body, never to experience any type of decay ever again on a personal level. Hallelujah. But there's a fullness I can live now. And I think all of us as believers should aspire to start living in a fullness of salvation today. And not get caught up there only to find we had way more availability of power and fullness of living. And our only hindrance was is we weren't willing to dwell. I don't know about you. Well, I think I do know about you. You know you want to dwell in the place of the Most High. And it's not there just because you're born again. It's there because you keep yourself there. So keep keep. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you want more, subscribe to our message podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Rating and leaving a comment will go a long way with helping our messages get better circulation. If you'd enjoy watching our weekend messages, visit youtube.com forward slash anchor faith. We'd love it if you'd subscribe, leave a comment or a like on the messages. If you'd like to find out more information about us and how we're influencing the world and help support the work we're doing by giving, just visit anchorfaith.com. 